So to uh, continue the <clears throat> exploration of uh, practice in daily life, or as uh, Ajahn Chah, the Thai forest teacher, put it, uh, uh, Dharma in the here and now. It's um, for me where the Dharma really comes alive and is. Uh, Cultivated because more, many more of our minutes and moments are um, when we're not meditating. <laughs> Unless, of course, you look at all of your day and all of your life as a meditation in motion, um, which is a, a, a wise way to look at it. When we're in the everyday world, of course, we've got all kinds of minds that are with all kinds of different causing conditions and realities and experiences that, that are manifesting. Um, so there's, there's conflict, there's uh, all kinds of things that can arise. So our, our task, our work in this is how to bring this practice to those everyday interactions. How to bring kindness, compassion, <clears throat> forgiveness, wise speech when necessary to, to uh, the everyday world. So I, I did say that I would speak a bit about um, wise or right speech. So uh, the Buddha said, um, right speech, abstaining from lying, from dis divisive speech, from abusive speech, and from idle chatter. Kind of takes a lot of what we say kind of <laughs> off. <that. laughs> I remember uh, uh, Joseph Goldstein uh, shared in a talk, I, I don't know if I heard it live or online, I hear so many, but... <clears throat> where he said that uh, he, just, he, he was going to take a period of time and he was going to really, you know, take wise speech as his core practice and just take it, you know. So he, part of that was uh, the no idle chatter part and no gossip and that kind of thing. No talking about, I think it's been worded as no, not talking about people that aren't present uh, is, is one way to word it. And he said he'd go through the day and he'd go... <laughs> He discovered that it was almost like a silent retreat because he. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's so I did after he did that. I heard that I tried it, and it it is amazing to just see, to see them, how often the mind goes to. I mean, you even get in an elevator, and it's like that's how I am anyway. About the weather, or I mean, that's a Canadian favorite topic, um, and uh, you know, it's kind of. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's kind of a way of saying hello for many of us, you know, talk about the weather. But uh, yeah, it's just interesting to explore it for yourself, what it, what that would feel like to uh, take those, um, you know, abstaining from lying, divisive speech, abusive speech, and from idle chatter. And the other way, the, the Buddha <clears throat> spoke about wise speech hundreds of times. Like if you take the Pali Canon, and uh, search for wise speech. It's one of the most commonly mentioned. Um, mindfulness, right? Mindfulness beats it by many fold, but wise speech is up there at the top of the list. And then if you look at all the different contexts in which he talked about wise speech, it's, there's a lot of good guidance because he'll talk about it in the term, terms of a town meeting, in terms of talking within family, with strangers, it's, there's all kinds of real live instructions given around um, wise speech, and it's all you know. And I started, I could have given, a, you know, I could have talked for days just on this, but I thought I'd better not um, uh, in a closing talk. And Daryl wouldn't uh, take because uh, I can't go on. Um, <laughs> but I thought I would, I would key right in on, uh, and this came up in our groups. Uh, so, you know, what, how to know what 
you know, is there a little kind of way to gauge if this is wise speech or not? Some very kind of practical um, considerations. And the Buddha said, a statement endowed with five factors is well spoken. It is spoken beneficially, affectionately, with a mind of goodwill. It is spoken at the right time. So it's kind of a bit of a checklist. So I like some. Is it well intended? Does it come from a place of goodwill? Is it true? So is it? Am I overstating it? Uh, and I, I know in my younger days I really liked to like to, to get people's attention. I'd like embellish. My wife would say, like, "You like to embellish the truth a little bit." So is it embellished or overstated, or spoken out of context? It's another way of looking at the truthfulness of it. Is it beneficial? Does it help things get better rather than worse? And this may be over time. It may not be immediate, but will it um, be help things get better? Is it timely? Is it the right time to say it? Something really worth um, exploring. Um, is, it, is it driven by uh, impulsivity? Like that, that kind of impulsive mind, or is it, uh, um, you know, is it coming from that a sense of, um, uh, you know, thoughtfulness? Is it, um, is it, is there a good chance it'll be heard in this moment? That's another aspect of timeliness and not harsh. You know, it, so it's it's not harsh. It's it could be a softness to it. I mean, there it could have a firmness or intensity to it. Um, it could confront injustice or maltreatment of, of someone, but it's not nasty or inflammatory or dismissive. So it doesn't mean it's, you know, we don't, as I said, uh, there's a time and a place and a way of, of giving um, firm um, speech as well. And the other, the other part, just real quick. The other part is, is the, the for me, the my, a practice that I just love is mindful listening. And I, I look at this as just as much a part of, of wise speech, is really listening, uh, and making lis- listening is such a, a awesome practice. It's really mind blowing actually to to look at the mind and the body while somebody is speaking with you. And you can feel and you can feel the resonance of their words in, in the body. You can you can watch the mind comment comment and judge and think about what it what it wants to say rather than listening. And that's I mean you, just, you kind of watch that um, um, and, and come back and come back to listening. Truly listening and not you don't need to know what you're gonna say. Uh, when they finish, some, well, sometimes the, the appropriate thing to say is an offer of a nod and a smile. No words actually need to be spoken. I've discovered that if nothing comes out after listening and silence is the response, it's often greeted quite, you know, um, warm-heartedly. So just bringing that... that um, our capacity to really engage and uh, listen wholeheartedly uh, to another person, I think, is another um, aspect of of right uh, speech. And I've got some uh, sort of daily practice kind of tips and tricks. But did you want to speak some more about the relationship and? Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, so one of the things, really important things to remember is that, um, and it, I, there's, this, there's this wonderful book uh, called The Four Noble Truths of Love by Susan Piver. And, um, and the first truth is all relationships are unstable. So... Um, so, and, and the second is that we create stress and suffering for ourselves and others by expecting that they will 
be stable, meaning permanent, unchanging, um, and uh, you know what we what we want them to be, <laughs> what we're counting on them being. So, um, and of course, relationships are unstable because uh, because we're always changing, as well as the other person is always changing. Relationships are so much a part of our lives, and um, and we can we can create a sense of um, self, an identity, very much in a relationship which can be uh, as somehow merged <coughs> with somebody or, uh, or you know, identified with somebody to the extent that we're losing our own sense of who we are or we can create an identity in counter to somebody. Um, and, uh, and so these, this is really important for us to be aware of and to work with. So our close relationships, our families, our very rich um, opportunities, rich arenas for us to be mindful and, and see when there is that expectation that requiring somebody to be a particular way and when they're not <clears throat> that we're trying to control um, and um, uh, so to leave space one of the things that we discover I discovered at, 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 as I deepened in practice is um, is that I didn't know who I was. <laughs> you know, like there's no there's no definition that can encapsulate this process which, you know, is named Daryl. Uh, and as I learn to uh, to abide within myself rather than being directed by expectations or projections coming from outside myself that I was assuming and wanting to respond to all the time so I would be doing the right thing or I would be liked or I would be appreciated or admired or all of those things that drive us, um, drove me. And, and as I began to stand or abide in that pr inner presence, you know, I discovered this not knowing, not knowing. Um, can I be in the not knowing? I, 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 was, I was listening to a radio program just a few days ago, and this... Uh, this wonderful author, he wrote a young adult's book, um, and he, he said that his father told him when he was young, he said, his father said, just stay in your authentic self and you'll never go wrong. Wow, what great advice. I wish somebody had said that to me when I was young. You know, just stay in your authentic self. So, uh, so our th authentic self, grounded in the body, um, present in the body, uh, and and giving that space for ourselves to be aware of what's happening in this moment and giving that space uh, with presence, with listening, with responding um, authentically to others um, and allowing them to, uh, to express what's happening in the moment.
There's a story I've told many times um, which impressed me so much um, when I first heard it. And if you've heard it, uh, well, you're hearing it again. <laughs> um, so I, I did a number of uh, trainings with Joanna Macy, who is a Dharma teacher and deep ecologist. And she told the story of when she and her then fiance, uh, Fran, um, went and they said that they um, decided to, to speak to a dear friend who was also a minister and say they planned to get married and, um, and would he, uh, you know, bless their, their wedding. And, um, and he said, uh, yes, of course, and, and the blessing that I want to give you right now is, may you always be strangers to each other. And I, you know, first hear that, oh, <laughs> that's odd. Uh, and, yeah, to, to, to stay with the not knowing, not to assume that this person who maybe is, you know, perhaps always adventurous or always funny or always very careful, you know, maybe not to assume that that's what they are right now, that that's what they want to be, what they want to express. Not to assume that we know what, how they might be receiving the unfolding of their lives in this moment. Uh, to inquire, to listen, to, you know, that we can help one another, whether it's our life partners or, um, or our children or our parents or our friends, uh, our colleagues, that in the in the relationship, you know, we can perhaps be um, discovering what's unfolding in this moment. And so, um, so the the discovery of uh, of how life is emerging is um, it's really a wonderful thing in relationships and. Of course, there's all the ordinary stuff of you know, the responsibilities and the things that need to be done. And uh, but but when we when we are intentionally being ourselves a space of openness, of kindness, of interest, uh, of safety, being a, a space of safety for the other, um, for ourselves, first of all, and for the other, then um, who knows how relationships, even relationships that we felt were stuck, you know, if we can bring this quality of, of interest and openness to our relationships, then uh, new things emerge, and they do. Beautiful, yeah. I had a, a friend whose his um, wife was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and he knew that you know she would die in a in eight months' time, more or less. And he said that that was the be the most precious eight months of his life because for the first time they they took off their, they'd been married for decades they took off their masks and they they communicated at this authentic self level. It was beautiful, but that reminded me of it. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm thinking about it opens my heart. Um, so, I mean, part of everyday um, practice is that we have the, the, this rather noisy mind. I don't know if I'm the only one, but... Uh, <laughs> Lots of chatter, um, and part of this practice is um, 
letting go of the mind's incessant um, impulsive, compulsive chatter and touching that, that stillness that lies beneath it. And dwelling there. So the mind can do its thing, but th- that doesn't disrupt. It's kind of like uh, the ocean. There can be the waves on the ocean and the wind blowing and tur- you know, all kinds of turbulence on the ocean, but underneath is a, is a stillness. It's kind of finding that still. I, I kind of use that metaphor sometimes when the mind's very agitated. Ah, the mind can be agitated. It can do its thing. I'm, I'm going scuba diving. <laughs> and just kind of rest in the underneath all that in that still place and let your let your senses and your and the present moment um, uh, you know access this as sometimes said coming to your senses coming to your senses um, that, so that's a, a daily I, that's a daily life practice uh, that we can engage in is coming back to our senses, going beneath the, the chatter of the mind. Little tips and tricks I like to give, because I found, I found them useful and I used them all throughout my life at one time or another. I put little stickers that said, breathe or meditate around the house, on the TV remote, coffee machine, um, a bookcase, Places where you know I'd, I'd go to distract. One time, the liquor cabinet. Uh, <laughs> I'm just just to remind myself, like there's something else I could breathe. I can um, ground uh, in other uh, with with my practice. A mindfulness bell. That's kind of a mindfulness bell. These little stickers. My wife did that more. And she, that she had them all over the you know, all over the, in the fridge in different places. Um, little stickums with breathe on it. Um, you can actually have a bell, put one on your phone, on your computer, whatever, that dings either randomly or every hour you set it. Just Google mindfulness bell. And it can be a time just to take it, to, to stop, to take three breaths, and reground. I had, I had it on my computer in my office at the university, and I'd be talking to a student, and all of a sudden, boom, a big speaker, boss speakers, boom. And uh, they'd kind of stop, and they'd go, well, what is that? And then I'd explain it to them. They, and nine times out of ten, they would go, oh, okay. And then take three breaths, and... And practice with me. I, I never thought that would happen. I thought they'd go, well, that's, that's weird, but you do what you need to do. <laughs> I'll go. But they sort of saw the, the preciousness of, uh, even though they didn't have a, a practice in the, the vast majority of cases, um, to take that, that moment um, and just come. That's what I, I find the mindfulness bells. It's just a chance to reconnect and re- remember to be mindful. This is that saying. Mindfulness is not all that complicated. The real challenge is remembering to be mindful. And it's not all that complicated. I mean, the mind has its own agenda. But, oh, really, I mean, being in the present moment, non judgmentally, just allowing things to be, to rise and pass. But it's remembering in our daily life to be mindful that's the challenge. So, any little tricks that you can. <laughs> Used to kind of um, twig the memory can be very can be very helpful. Um, picking an activity um, that you can do mindfully. I pick uh, any activity. Do it mindfully for a week. So, uh, brushing your teeth. Set the intention to, you know, every time I brush my teeth, I'm going to do so mindfully, which means I'm just going to be in the present moment and feeling the teeth brushing and feeling the body and just being present. And you can add another activity to that the next week and then another activity the next week. And you'd be amazed how much of our life is taken up doing uh, mundane chores. It's, It's a lot. 
tissue. You know, all these, you know, cleaning up, making messes, and then cleaning them up, and dirtying your teeth, eating, cleaning them again. It's um, eating and disposing of what you ate, um, and so on. So you can make each one of those a, a transformational activity. I, I did one that was I found very interesting is like I committed to uh, be mindful when I walked up and down the stairs and I walked up and down the stairs a lot in this particular place and if I got halfway and I had forgotten to walk up the stairs mindfully I'd go back down and start over and interesting the mind would go okay I might as well just give you know start right now because the guy's gonna come back down anyway. If I, so it, and I just and it, you know and that that was just a way to come home, come back to stillness um, throughout the throughout the day. So any little things like that that you can think of can be very helpful in in in, in remembering to to be mindful. And of course, being mindful while walking and eating. We also spend uh, many of us a fair bit of time walking. Uh, I've got a Fitbit and then, you know, 10,000 steps, that's a lot of steps that you can be mindful in, right? So I wish it would tell me how many of them, I didn't do many today, how many, how many of those steps were mindful steps, but of course it, it's not that sophisticated yet. Um, but how many of those steps can you do mindfully throughout the day? And eating, of course, um, Daryl spoke about mindful eating. Doing things one, doing one thing at a time. Well, I would tell my young, younger students, it's, it's, it's kind of a badge of honor now to be able to, you know, watch a Netflix video, go on Facebook, listen to a lecture, and take notes about the last lecture all at the same time. <laughs> And then I actually had students say, well, you're from another generation. This generation, we can uh, multitask. Um, there's a cartoon that's out there, uh, and uh, somebody walked into the, to the, uh, you know, the CEO's office, and, and the CEO said, uh, she says, uh, I, I, need, I got a really important job for you. I need to find somebody that can do one thing at a time. <laughs> Can unitask, I think is how she worded it. I need somebody that can unitask. Um, and doing one thing at a time um, allows us to be present with what we're doing. Not, not to mention perhaps the effectiveness and efficiency which we can bring to that, that task. And lastly, um, do nothing time. That, you know, the, rather than being a human doing that has, uh, you know, if you, there's some stillness, you, you start to walk towards the to-do list to find out, oh, what should I be doing now? Um, there was a period in my life where I actually scheduled in and I'd say, do nothing. And somebody would say, oh, can you meet it? And I'd say, no, nope, that's booked. And what was booked was do nothing time because my schedule would just fill up. I was like, and administration at the universities, I had students, everybody wanting to meet, and so I just had do-nothing time, and uh, I wouldn't even meditate, I would just sit and look out the window, or I'd go and sit in a park bench in the quad if it was warmer, and I would just sit there and watch people go by and watch the birds, there's just no agenda, watch the mind a little if it was, you know, twirling away. Um, no, no, no agenda. Just uh, do nothing. So if you're find you're in a bi very busy life, book off some do nothing time, and then of course the morning meditation. And I say morning because um, I, I, my experience and from the the the, um, the students that I've worked with, I find morning is just a way to kind of to set yourself for the day, to kind of set, reset home, show, so, so your parachute, <laughs> whatever you want, analogy you might you want to use. But um, if you're a parent of young children, yeah, and I was, it and doesn't I was, work. And then I was going to say, you know, although that's maybe the, the time that I would recommend, 
don't make that, you know, the, if you can't do it in the morning, then um, uh, see, see what works for you as an individual, what works for your context and your schedule. Um, yeah, diaper changing meditation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is something that is often read at the end of retreats, often spoken together, and it's um, uh, an intention for forgiveness. And uh, so I'll I'll read I'll read it through, and then if you want to say it with me, I'll read it um, I'll read it line by line or phrase by phrase. If I have harmed anyone in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, through my own confusions, I ask their forgiveness. If anyone has harmed me in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, through their own confusions, I forgive them. And if there is a situation I am not ready to forgive. I forgive myself for that. For all the ways that I harm myself, negate, doubt, belittle myself, judge or be unkind to myself, through my own confusions, I forgive myself. So just I'll just go through it and if you like you can join me. If I have harmed anyone in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, if I have harmed anyone in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, through my own confusions, I ask their forgiveness. Through my own confusions, I ask their forgiveness. If anyone has harmed me in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, if anyone has harmed me in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, through their own confusions, I forgive them. Through their own confusions, I forgive them. And if there is a situation I am not ready to forgive, and if there is a situation I am not ready to forgive, I forgive myself for that. I forgive myself for that. For all the ways that I harm myself, negate, doubt, belittle myself. For all the ways that I harm myself, negate, doubt, belittle myself. Judge or be unkind to myself through my own confusions. Judge or be unkind to myself through my own confusions. I forgive myself. If you have any questions that you'd like to direct to Stephen or to me or to either or both, um, please. Go ahead. I have a question and a comment. Um, do we can we get a copy of the recordings? They'll be on on the um, True North Insight website in, in a week or so. Yeah. Can we get a copy of this? Of the forgiveness? Yes. Yeah. Sure. I I only have it. Written out, but um, yeah, I, I I can put it on the bulletin board if you want to copy it, or okay. or or if you want to send me an email, I can okay. I can send it to you. Can I say thank you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want just a couple of things. One of them is um, to Stephen for you know the precision and accuracy you put into the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, and um, your undaunting stalwart in a posture that just helped me retreat. And um, uh, the joyousness that, that each day, it was like a child, I felt like a child, there was obviously something refreshingly um, just born. And one of them was the communal walking, 
if you've never, never, never been into that. Um, the other one, if I can remember the four, the one of them is, yes, relating the teachings to the four elements and bringing the body into that. And that was an exquisite loving kindness um, um, practice that embraced so much, found that very refreshing, mm -hmm. you know, for having been near so much loving kindness. And he said, oh, I know. Um, the chanting was very, I hadn't come near those words of chanting, and it, it was very encompassing of the group, especially the nighttime one. I thought that was mm -hmm. just quite sweet and darling. It was like sitting with your grandmother or something, and we were going to go to bed. <laughs> it was very sweet, so I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. So, um, I, I want to clarify that, you know, there will be a closing circle and... and oh, yeah, no, it's, that's great. So, but this, this is like, we're kind of continuing the questions about daily practice and, and but thank you for your gratitude. It's very touch, lovely and touchy. I have a question about when somebody's speaking, yeah. my listening idea, Sometimes I just get a version to um, what somebody is saying and then and it stands to that person and I'm not quite sure um, you know, other than recognizing that that's what's going on. Any other tips and tricks? Do you wanna talk about mindfulness a little? So you're you're saying you're triggered in some way when the Somebody's talking. How do you yeah, relate to that? Right. And I, I, I stop here. You know, I stop listening because I'm so caught up with how much discomfort I'm feeling. How much I just want to kind of run away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to, 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 I mean, <clears throat> the, the, the way you're speaking is already bringing awareness to it. You, you want to run away. You want. So you're you're holding. The whole thing in, in, in awareness, um, as well as uh, compassion for the person who's speaking, if they happen to be, you know, being reactive or compulsive in some ways, speaking from that place, and noticing the reaction in you and how that feels in the body, what thoughts come up around it. Um, yeah, I, my, I, I brought this up somewhere, maybe in the groups. My my uh, children have turned into little teachers for me, and that they're both environmentalists, and like they work in that job, they they that's their life in their spare time. They they do that same thing they do when they go to work. It's hard to tell whether they're at work or in their spare time, but they have this they so they have conversations with, at family gatherings with people who have a completely different viewpoint. And just the way that they can engage, um, I, I, when I was their age, I would never have, I would have been, you know, very different. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I've learned to them how they can be centered and balanced uh, within what is a fairly um, difficult uh, conversation for them. And even if the other person tries to agitate them like almost on purpose right to uh, to get a reaction it's no reaction we're at a dinner family dinner and somebody said something and I reacted just hearing it and Justin's response my son was I'd like to hear more about that <laughs> <laughs> I'm like <laughs> so yeah I'd like to hear, like, yeah. Wondering where that's coming from. Yeah. Of course, he'll eventually ask for evidence. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess just one thing that I would add is, you know, I think that it also depends on the relationship that we have with the person. You know, like, mm -hmm. so when there's a kind of a when we have a, a, a bond, a family connection, or you know, uh, some kind of 
for lack of a better word, karmic connection that, you know, we're, we're with that person and we share our, our lives in some way. And, you know, then that's one thing. But, you know, sometimes also, um, if we're not with, if, we, if it's not, if it's just like an, an encounter, it, you know, we just, um, I, I think that, that uh, we, we also can discern for ourselves what we're going to invest, <laughs> you know, when we're going to invest. And, um, you can turn off the radio. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not always a personal encounter. Yeah, exactly. You can turn off the radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I turn off the radio a lot. <laughs> more and more. <laughs> And it may have been, you may have said it, and uh, it may have been in the subtext, but I found, uh, <clears throat> especially with family, you said that, it, it, you know, that it's sometimes easier with family because there's a lot of goodwill and, and love for the family. Did I say that? <laughs> 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 it's but I find it to win. Uh, in my experience, I've, I've used right intention. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at my intention before, even months ahead of time. <laughs> and I tell my wife, you know, I, this is going to go well. <laughs> because I will be present. And my intention is that it goes well. And, and so, in a recent example of that, it, effectively what I found is, uh, you have to be mindful, of course, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and you have to be listening, and, and, and not just the words that are said, but the subtext of the words and the, the, the space around the words, and let the words sink in. But if the intention is good, then your response will be appropriate to what was said, as opposed to just spurting off <laughs> like you've done for 50 years. <laughs> and, 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 and things do go well. So the intention beforehand is, you know, like mm-hmm. you want things to, to be well, you want to speak rightly, I think is very important. To me. When you know you're going to be going into a conversation with someone, I think, you know, yeah. thinking ahead of time, you know, that this, okay, what you want in terms of things going well with, with uh, good, you know, yeah, positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think if I spoke about goodwill, that's what I was planning or intending to say, is that when we bring the goodwill, um, then it's, you know, we can't assume or expect or, or, or know that what another person is is bringing to an encounter. But it forces us to be mindful too. Yes, when exactly. the goodwill behind speech, before then, it forces you to listen and carefully. Mm-hmm. Listen carefully too, also, it's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I realized when we were talking about practice in daily life, just how rigid my daily life practice had become. Not my sitting practice, but just that informal daily practice. Um, so those little tips, you know, where a part of my mind was like, ah, nah, nah. I was like, oh no, listen, listen, and you know, really realizing that I had lost what I loved so much about my practice was that it was there for me in daily life. 
And because I had had a rigidity, I'm like, well, I meditate. I should be good at everything that I do. If there's something going on that's got to do with them, over there, not me. And not, if I'm not connecting to that moment, then I'm not also remembering that moment on a cellular level. So it's not there in my practice, in that space to come up and go, oh, remember that? Oh, that was you. That wasn't them. So thank you for reminding that, although my mind was laughing and as a, as a social worker. Would it be acceptable if I put those sticky notes on my kid's forehead? <laughs> 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 I, I, I say it jokingly, but, I, but often I do. When, when the world is full of turmoil, I just think if I look at their faces, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. look at their mm -hmm. face, everything seems to come back to the present moment, even if that face is covered in boogers and crying. <laughs> if, if I might add, you talk about, I think you're talking about formal meditation, right, versus informal meditation. Right. Yeah. And uh, my husband uh, practices in his own way, and he, he took a mindfulness course, and found it very beneficial. In fact, it lowered his blood pressure to the point where he's no longer taking, his doctor said she's never heard of that. So mm -hmm. it's really helpful. Um, but he always has a funny, he coins this phrase. He likes to call things just jokingly, not by what they are. So he calls it casual meditation. <laughs> I always think about that when I think casual, casual meditation casual. <laughs> instead of informal. He says, and he does. He practices casual meditation all day long. <laughs> he's, he's not much into the formal practice, but he certainly does the casual. So I just thought that, that I, when you said that, it right away it triggered that memory where he. He comes up with those phrases, and it's it makes it reminds me to do it myself. Yeah. Speaking of pointing the phrase, I was trying to describe uh, the effects of meditation um, for myself, and I I was trying to say mental health and mental wellness at the same time, and I said, you know, uh, mental hellness. <laughs> <laughs> what you said about casual meditation and what you said Stephen about scheduling in do nothing time I'm and I'm reflecting how myself like probably a lot of us I keep an epic to-do list and it's sort of like a everyday kind of battle and I'm it's you know focused on sort of like mindless accomplishing task 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 task, task. and often on the task one of the tasks is meditation and and it it can become an activity that's I'm doing sort of like eating well or something. I'm trying to do it for self-improvement and, and because I should and, you know, that sort of thing. And I, and I know I get some gains from it. But I like the idea of switching it up with do nothing time too because um, then I'm not accomplishing. It's the, mm. you know, really attempting not to not accomplish something and have an outcome. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kind of along the same lines as the casual meditation. Kind of <laughs> yeah, sitting a, on a bench. A lightness. I think the Buddha even used that. that a light awareness of the body throughout the day. So it doesn't have to be a, mm -hmm. a tight uh, kind of feel to it. One of, one of the things I've been suggesting to people I find recently, I just find myself talking about this, <coughs> is um, to bring, uh, that to avoid making our meditation time a ta just another task that we have to do. Um, and to to find a way to um, <clears throat> for me meditation is uh, it's, it's a time for joy it's a time for openness for space for um, for touching in to my heart and uh, and really connecting with my deepest self and um, and one of the things that I do is, you know, I do, I have little things I do which are joyful. Um, I, I light a candle, I 
I take refuge, you know, I say refuge prayers, I do some chanting, uh, I play a, a beautiful chant that I learned from a teacher and, uh, and I chant with it. And these are things that um, it's not, so I'm not just sitting down, you know, and kind of, okay, start meditating. <laughs> but uh, there's an entering in process of creating a, a sense of sacred time, sacred space, and, um, uh, and, I, and, and I've been suggesting this to people, uh, like, yeah, is there a chant that you love that you could just play, or is there, you know, like some, just some little objects, some beautiful objects that give you happiness to a picture, some pictures, a, a candle, um, so to connect with uh, with happiness, you know, as as you ra- rather than just I've got to do this because I'm supposed to. Yeah. I, I have some hobbies that are supposed to be creative and fun, like I do to create some things for a bazaar that's fundraising. But the of course the paradox is that you know you get so stressed in this creative process that people are buying because this stuff is supposed to be beautiful. So I'm going to look at, and as we've been thinking and listening, I go, I sitting on my desk is a whole pile of stuff I have to make, but now maybe I'm going to burn a candle. If my sewing machine cuts out, I'm not going to get ticked off. I'm going to be happy when I have to re-thread the bobbin or something. I'm just going to take that task and create some objects that are supposed to be beautiful, but I'm going to do it in a nicer way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it in a mindful way. Mm-hmm. In, a, in, a, in a happy way as opposed to a stressed way, you know? Mm-hmm. So that'll be something, I'll do it mindfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, if it's not the same, t- go ahead, because it's a different topic. So Okay, yes. just, just uh, I look for a signpost of mindlessness in my life and that's the usually that bring forces me to be mindful so stressing the body pain in the body usually indicator that something's wrong but also uh, how I do things how I go about I, I work with sharp tools so <laughs> building things and so uh, I, I cut myself and you know, I ask my shit, okay, well, how did that happen? Well, you, you weren't there, right? So I, I go and sit for five minutes just to recenter. You know, should I be doing this or should I be off doing what I was thinking about? So it's just bringing it back to, to, so there are signposts out there that you're not mindful. It, sometimes it's easier for me to look for those than to actually try to be mindful during the little stickers. Within a day, I, I, I don't see them anymore, so. <laughs> So but looking for signposts of mm-hmm. mindlessness is, uh, is effective for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Carol, just going back to what you were talking about, the self, and how how do I know what my authentic self is? How is anybody? Mm-hmm. Could you just, maybe you talked about it and I missed it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the answer, you got the answer. The authentic self heard it, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If it can be, if it can be named, it's not the authentic self. So, now all kinds of things come creatively from the authentic self, but we're not defined by any of it. So, I may, I may teach, but I'm not a teacher in my authentic self. I mean, my teaching comes from my authentic self, uh, most large majority of the time, sometimes I, I go off, but um, so standing in your authentic self is, is really not knowing, you know, like we do all kinds of things. We're, we're mothers, we're spouses, we're aunties or uncles, we're, we're children, grown-up children, we're, um, we're workers, therapists, artists, 
um, we're hikers, we're travelers, we, we, do, we do many, many, many things. And, and hopefully most of these things come from a place of uh, interest and they're connected to um, you know, what feels life-giving for us. But what is our authentic self? Is is only can only be discovered experientially. It's you know in that that silence underneath all the chatter, or in the stillness, in the in the just being with a tree, or you know, or a child, or or a moment. And just being with in presence, um, that's what I'm pointing to. You know, and, and none of us can say what, you know, what exactly that is. And yet it's, it's all, we all know it. We've all known it in our lives. And, and maybe we, we don't always live from that authenticity. I'd like to actually, we're going over time, and I'd like to segue into a poem, if I can, and because we're, we're going to do a closing circle. And so if I can just read this. Some of you may know this poem called Hokusai Says by Roger Keyes. It's one of my favorite poems, and I think it's a beautiful poem to close a retreat. Hokusai, oh, let me just explain who Hokusai is. Hokusai is, um, uh, was a 19th century Japanese watercolorist. So his, his paintings are quite well known. Um, the uh, Mount Sumeru uh, painting, uh, he's done many, many of Mount Sumeru in different lights. Uh, the tsunami, the very famous tsunami painting is a Hokusai. So, uh, beautiful watercolors. Hokusai says, look carefully. He says, keep looking, stay curious. He says, there is no end to seeing. He says, look forward to getting old. He says, keep changing. You just get more who you really are. He says, get stuck, accept it. Repeat yourself as long as it's interesting. He says, keep doing what you love. He says, keep praying. He says that every one of us is a child. Everyone is ancient. Every one of us has a body. He says that every one of us is frightened. He says that every one of us has to find a way to live with fear. He says everything is alive. Shells, buildings, people, fish, mountains, trees. Wood is alive. Water is alive. Everything has its own life. Everything lives inside us. He says, live with the world inside you. He says, it doesn't matter if you draw or write books. It doesn't matter if you saw wood or catch fish. It doesn't matter if you sit at home and stare at the ants on your veranda or the shadows of the trees and grasses in your garden. It matters that you care. It matters that you feel. It matters that you notice. It matters that life lives through you. Contentment is life living through you. Joy is life living through you. Satisfaction and strength is life living through you. Peace is life living through you. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look, feel, let life take you by the hand. 
Let life live through you. Sit on chairs or sit on a cushion, whatever you like, just so that we're um, look, seeing each other. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.